mean, I saw Knives Out twice in theater because the first time was great, and the second time I was like, "You sneak, you slide on, <laughs> you Ron slide Johnson." On, Ron Johnson. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And today, I am joined by one of our guest hosts, co-creator of the show with me back in the day, Ben Gertz. Ben, welcome back. Brandon, it's always great to be back. I love I love your hunt for the title of me. What am I? Who am I? But I'm, I'm back <laughs> in the mix. It feels great. Always great to be back. You've been busy. You've been living a life. But we're here now. Survival um, is its own achievement these days. <laughs> Very much so. Um, so I think it's a special episode. Like I said Ben hasn't Ben's been gone for a few months, but this specific movie we're gonna talk about today was a big pick. It was like Ben's like right out of the gate. We don't want to talk about it for like five months, it feels like. It was supposed to be in November, and now it's in January. <laughs> I mean, it's a little behind the scenes for everybody, but yeah, yeah. Sorry. no, but but yeah, this this is a film that's near and dear to me. I, I can say that. I, I think I I think I told Brandon early on this is one of those films, and and I guess I'm setting myself up for potential failure here. But I, as many of you know, if you've listened, I don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> this is the irony of being on of movies. I don't yeah, have time to watch uh, that, that many movies, but this is one that it came out when I was, you know, in college and film school and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, uh, I've, I've watched it almost as much as any movie, which, you know, this is not legendary levels of rewatch, but I, I've definitely spent time with this movie. So now I'm destined to fail. And <laughs> but yeah, so off that, uh, as we continue our month-long look at the neo-noir genre, we are talking about Ryan Johnson's cult classic in a way. It's kind of culty. Uh, cult classic, Brick. Um, but before we do that, I want to give everyone a little recap on what we talked about this month when talking about neo-noir. Um, as we've said before, we covered the traditional film noir genre back in November. And back in November, we talked about how World War II had a massive impact on the genre, both in stories told and how they were told, from like the the shadowy cinematography to the crime-filled stories, noir specifically reflected a specific time in America. And after the traditional period ended, that's when neo noir, the neo noir genre began. And neo noir took the tropes of the noir genre and put them into a modern context, which I kind of keep harping on these episodes uh is that to me the biggest thing that makes a neo-noir movie work is that takes the noir tropes and noir archetypes and puts them uh puts a modern spin on it in terms of the visual style the traditional noir period was heavily influenced by german expressionism but not all neo-noir films carried that over but as we'll talk about today most neo-noir films have some sort of unique visual style that's present within them. Um, And also one difference I've read during my research this month that I think could relate to this is someone said that traditional noir focused more on the psychological factors while neo-noir has had a, has had a more of a focus on sociological or sociological like factors. Hmm. Um, And I think that might fit into, because talking about kind of like culture and humans, like human ways which could be present with today's movie. Yeah, I'm going to have to roll that one around in the brain. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one thing I read, and I was like, that's an interesting point, because n- neo-noir kind of changed of where it became more of like, 
cities and things were always and culture were always a big part of of traditional noir but i feel like it became less psychological in certain neo-noir films as we went on and more about like the society as a whole even that was present in the noir period yeah i I mean i think the 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 noteworthy thing about brick you know right is is its setting you know it's it's high school setting exactly that's why i wanted that's why i wanted to bring that up was just about how you were able to take that the like the culture like the the setups and st- or the uh, stories are still the same but we've changed it into this new society essentially a new setting with a high school yeah. setting um which i think is very important seeing how the social aspects of high school related really well to the social aspects or the story aspects of a noir film or a hard-boiled detective story and so for those that haven't seen brick it's currently streaming on amazon prime while also being available on most video rental platforms like youtube google play apple all that stuff so be prepared there will be spoilers for this film we've given you a roughly 16 year head start i think 2005 yeah 2005 yeah 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 so be prepared um so so brick was written and directed by ryan johnson and it stars joseph gordon levitt The film is about a young high school student, Brendan, who is a loner that explores the crime underworld that is present at his high school as he tries to to solve the mystery of his ex-girlfriend's disappearance and death. What makes this film so unique, as we talked about, is its style and dialogue and how these high school students talk as if they were in a Dashiell Hammett or Raymond Chandler hard-boiled detective novel. So as Ben said, it's very. This movie is very important to him. Can you go back? Can you go more into that of why this is important to you? Like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that, that's a good question. I should have been. <laughs> I, should, I mean, I think what's noteworthy. What was noteworthy to me at the time? This, you know, just like with yeah. any album or song or movie, right? It's t- it's tied to a a time. I, I rewatched yeah. this in preparation for the episode. I felt like I saw more of some of the potential. I don't want to get into them now exactly, but it's it's not a hundred percent. I mean, there are there are flaws in the movie. I think they're not they're not huge, but but it's beautiful. And what what I pitched it to you when we originally talked about this. What inspired me when I saw it is the fact that mm-hmm. the shortcomings in the film you notice because it is shot on such, you know, they shot it on 35 millimeter film, but according to the director's commentary, it was like $450,000, $500,000 that they spent on it. So it's very low budget. Yes. And it doesn't, you know, the, the inspirational aspect to me is like, oh my gosh, like you could go make a movie like this, maybe. I mean, that's still a lot of money. It's not money that's sitting in my bank yeah, account yeah. today. But as a film student, right, this is the sort of thing you want to be inspired by because it yeah. it's it's ambitious, it's very different. It's not just a murder mystery, it's not just a high school story, right? The the dialogue is sharp, the acting's great, and the the visuals, right? Like what you uh yeah. what you guys covered in November, right, is like the shadows, the lighting, there's so much interesting um, you know, in comparison to other sort of low budget student movies that are just trying to do like a love story or whatever that's pretty generic we're like we just basically people set out with five hundred thousand dollars like we just want to come away with a movie and this is like hell no we're gonna go for something 
pretty i mean it's pretty wild we're, yeah we're gonna go for broke we're gonna go we're for gonna broke go for here. broke and That's they really like. yeah, yeah, they yeah. really come away with something pretty special i just don't think that yeah you know that's what's that's what's special to me about it is like knowing like the more you find out about it the more like impressive ryan johnson is at a certain level because this is yes. his you know feature debut um but all the people involved really you know at every layer there's some crazy like just pulling it back from the brink of trying to make this thing work and they and they make it work um so that's part of it i mean it's i mean I mean, even to put in con- we talked about this last week, Thomas and I, about body heat, about like the um, the actors that are present in that film and how they were kind of all unknowns before they like before this before body heat, and this with Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt is very similar. He had been acting for sure. He'd been Third Rock from the Sun, been in a bunch of indie films, but like to me, Brick feels like, at least in my eyes, of like how when I look back at like what movies did I find out about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like the actor, like the star brick was that it's one. a breakup performance. And yeah. 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 And it's because I also saw it when I was in college. Cause I bought, I when when places where you actually could go and just buy movies and nothing else, uh, a place called movie stop. And I remember buying brick and my buddy, our friend, Mark, Mark Patterson, who was on the, been on the show before, uh, when he was like, Oh my God, you brought brick. That movie's amazing. Yeah. I'd never seen it. But it was just like kind of that movie where like, and maybe it was just like, I don't, I don't want to say like the the artsy like film school dude where like that's the movie they just like you gravitate towards is like, as you're saying, at least at least with us maybe coming from Alabama where it was like, this is the movie like this is a dude who made a movie with like as little resources as possible, basically found the budget like the smallest budget possible to make this movie work. And did it with like no real connections to like like no like as we'll get into like kind of the brief history of how it got made. It's like it wasn't like someone came in and was like, oh Ryan Johnson, you're a genius. Let me give you five hundred thousand dollars and we'll make your movie. No, um, it's it's very much like he begged, borrowed, and steals what it sounds like to get this movie made, and then it became somewhat of a hit. Yeah, I mean. In in particular, you know, so I, I rewatched with the director's commentary, which is, you know, let me let me push the glasses up on the bridge of my nose here. <laughs> um, you know, but they they talk about that basically. He wrote this when he was twenty three, fresh out of film school, which is infuriating at a certain level uh, because the script, um, you know, the dialogue, uh, and who knows how much revision they really did before they got to the the shooting script. But yeah. Um, you know, one thing that you shared, uh, Brandon, is the the like little script novella, basically, with the drawings, the which made, is yeah. great. Yeah. Like there, the thing that you see from this film that is clear, because I I've now gone on like a little bit of a Ryan Johnson uh, bender, I suppose. Although he doesn't have a massive <laughs> filmography, right? Yeah, but yeah. It, it's it's a short, bender. but really like yeah. you know, because because I've got Knives Out, and I, I I started watching some of the behind the scenes of that as well. Like every. You know, and I watched it a couple times in theaters. Like every one of his movies, I watched Brothers Bloom the other night too. Every one of his movies is like an intricate little puzzle. I don't want to get into the the Star Wars movie because you and I already talked about that <laughs> off off here on the podcast. That's not really for today. But every every one of those movies is this sort of puzzle within a puzzle, a little intricately made watch. Now, if you don't like that, it, you know, he kind of 
doesn't yeah. really come to you and say like, no, really, this watch is great. It's like, no, he made this little puzzle and it's just not for everybody. You know, all of his films yeah. are kind of the same. And as you said, he just goes after different genres and tries to reinvent them. I'm not trying to steal your thunder here, but that's part of what we talked about it's in okay. prep is just he's go- he takes a genre, he bends it in a way that's interesting to him, but it is definitely yep. a Ryan Johnson movie. Um, without some of the artsy fartsy flair of the time, you know, that 2005 yeah. focus features Sundance thing, there was a lot of look at what we can do and go to Sundance stuff. Yeah, and it doesn't have that feel through it doesn't really have that feel of like trying to be a Sundance right. movie. Um, but no, yeah, it, it, Ryan Johnson's very much has he it seems like when he tackles a movie, it's like, okay, how can I put my stamp on this genre? Mm-hmm. How can I put my stamp on the murder mystery? How can I put my stamp on the time travel movie with yeah. Looper? Um, how can I put my stamp on the con movie with Brothers Bloom? How can I put my stamp on the Star Wars space opera sci-fi <laughs> genre with Last Jedi? Like, so it's I, I respect that with him of how he's able, love it or hate it, I, as a filmmaker, you have to respect that um, tenacity and that, that vision to say, hey, I don't want to give you something you've seen before, but I do want to, like, pay tribute to the things you've seen before, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, it's very much in the in the past and the future type Yeah, and, and my criteria that I try to use when I'm watching something is, like, you know, are is this is this film achieving what it sets out to be? You know, which is hard, yeah. very hard to know, right? We don't know everyone's intention. Yeah. But clearly, when you see that script novella thing with the, the cool thing about the drawings that are included is that it has little sketches of the characters. And I mean, you tell me if they don't nail Pretty, it yeah, yeah. almost to the T and, and, and yeah. it's, does some of this matter? I don't know, but I mean, down to shoes yeah. and belt buckles and like really particular costume elements, details that I think that's the thing as a young filmmaker or someone like, you want to do it. You see Ryan Johnson, you go, oh my God, this guy is just so focused yeah. on every detail. Again, maybe you don't like that. Maybe you don't like what he does, but he's not doing very much by chance. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But to go off that, let's give you, I'm going to give you a brief history of how this got made. We've kind of said a few things about it already, so it might be a little over rehash, but it's okay. Um, so before I dive into brick, let me give you a little bit of background on Ryan Johnson himself. Uh, Johnson was born in Silver Spring, Maryland, before moving to Denver, Colorado, where he lived until he was in sixth grade. After that, him and his family moved to San Clemente, California, in Orange County. There, he attended San Clemente High School before moving to L.A., where he attended the University of Southern California and graduated from USC School of Cinematic Arts in 1996. Uh, Around this time, Johnson became obsessed with the works of Dashiell Hammett, who who wrote such books as Red Harvest and the Maltese Falcon, some of which became, or the Thin Man as well, some of which that became famous movies in the noir era of filmmaking. Um, he found out about Hammett's novels from the Coen brothers after listening to an interview with them about how much Hammett inspired their 1990 film Miller's Crossing. And also I think like movies like Blood Simple as well, mm-hmm. which was their first debut film. I think Blood Simple even is a, the name Blood Simple is a line in, Hammett's uh, Red Harvest, I'm not mistaken. Um, but John, So Johnson wanted to make a straightforward American detective story, but he realized that it wouldn't stand out as much within the genre, so he decided to set his story at a high school. 
as we talked about, he initially wrote the story as a novella first in the form of Hammett's kind of wordplay and, and writing style. After that, he wrote the first draft of the script uh, in 1997 after he graduated film school, as Ben said. And then he spent six years pitching the script around Hollywood, but no one wanted to make this unusual movie with the first-time director. During this time, Johnson also began working in post-production as an editor and edited one movie called May, which came out in 2002, I believe. Um, so he finally decided to raise the money himself, and he began asking friends and family for backing. His family was in the construction industry, and they contributed a good bit of money, which prompted others to also get involved and give money. They ended up raising around $450,000 to make the movie. Uh, and then he casts Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was a budding film star who was doing a lot of indie films in the early 2000s, because he had seen him in a movie called Maniac. And once that ca- once he kind of rounded out the cast, the production finally started filming in 2003. When he was 29. When he was 29. Yeah. But as we'll go into, gets released a, a good bit later. Oh, interesting. So, so yeah. So, Ben, favorite scenes? Oh, wow. Um yeah, I, 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 the most iconic to me in my memory is the van with the lamp and the pen. Uh, oh yeah, the pen. Yeah, uh, he's got the he's such got, a weird. Yeah. It's it's so great. It's so weird, but so great. Yeah, I think it's so one of the line. I wrote it in a. I highlighted it in my notes from the from the commentary. He he talks because the other scene that a lot of people. If you've seen the movie, you probably remember it. It's Joseph Gordon-Levitt sitting in the Penn's kitchen with the mom asking, like, yeah, yeah. What, you know, mom. you want some orange juice? <laughs> you know, so there's like there's a humor to the movie that I mean, otherwise, it's very much in that hard boiled, uh, you know, everything's super serious. Joseph Gordon-Levitt never cracks a yeah. smile. You know he's st- he's getting the shit kicked out of him half the time. Uh, he is. He's really getting knocked around, which you know I enjoyed. Uh, you know the previous episode in November about you know just how that's you know because he's playing with a lot of these tropes just really well. But the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. humor. There's the scene with the mirror that's spinning in the basement, right? That again is kind of playing with the shadows and like there's yeah. there's some really cool. I think it's the van. I think it's the mirror spinning. the The other iconic thing is the tunnel, right? And with especially with the yeah, all the tunnel, the tunnel stuff, stuff. The, and the opening specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The opening. Like, it's a phenomenal opening. Yeah. Like talk about just like I mean, it's the it's the poster too. Like yeah. the, I mean, the one of the opening shot. It's not the opening shot, but one of the early shots in the opening scene is the poster of the movie, yeah. and it's just so haunting. And to be just like dropped into mm-hmm. that scene and then flash backwards. Yeah. And and I, I don't know if we said it already. I mean, it's filmed at his high school uh, in San Clemente. Damn, yeah, you, you, you keep sorry, skipping sorry, around sorry, stuff sorry. that I want to bring. <laughs> sorry, it's fine. Sorry, it was shot at Ryan Johnson's sorry. high school. I'll talk about that later. But yes. Sorry. And his hometown. It's not yeah. just his high school, but his hometown. In Which Clemente. goes with that like beg, borrow, steal. Like, you know, he's on good terms yeah. with a lot of people. And so they, you know, they they did classic filmmaker stuff of showing up places and just asking, please. Yeah. I, I think there was, I think there's one place where like they, they went there. I think it's the, the, the cafe scene, like the, O, it's the O pie mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, like what's the, what's the name of the, that place yeah. where they couldn't, they, they found out the day of, they couldn't shoot inside. So they just shot like the exteriors of it and then like built 
like somewhat of a cafe somewhere else to shoot it because they couldn't get the interior of yeah. that uh of, of that set um i mean one one that i i mean the opening as we said before but that's all silence so we can't replay really a clip from that but it's just it's a haunting and beautiful hauntingly beautiful kind of it's like that's the from seeing it in college to now because i've seen this movie a couple times since then that's the scene that's always stuck with me the most mm-hmm. is that opening sequence or opening scene um one just a side uh, one one thing i like that's very different for the rest of the movie is when brennan joseph gordon levitt's character confronts the jock brad in the school parking lot when he gets into like a fist fight or whatever but like it, when brennan's playing this like pretending to be like a scout where he's like you got heart kid you're gonna go places i'm gonna sign you up right now and it's like but it, it it's just so weird how like Levitt fits so perfectly into this like style mm-hmm. of 1940s. Like, let me tell you something, kid. Like, even though it's not that gangsterish style, it's it's just very just like he plays it straight. Like, that's the big key here. He plays it phenomenally. The line straight. that I underlined from the commentary is they never wink. That's what I that's what I meant to yeah. say. From the the scene, the scene when they're in the mom, you know, the mom's offering orange juice and uh, you want to get you guys anything. You know, he was like, the key to all of this is to never wink, never once look at camera and be cute, you know? So they, the entire movie, even when they're pulling off pretty funny stuff, you know, or just weird, weird and quirky, but, but again, not too Sundancey, like let's ride a tricycle down a grassy hill. They're not, they're not making garden state. They're not not making making garden garden state. state, It really is just like, it's controlled and it, and it's, it's very intentional and um, yeah, I suppose I'm circling back here. Hey, what are you doing here? Just listening. All right, you got me. I'm a scout for the Gophers. Been watching your game for a month, but that story right there has clenched it. You got heart, kid. How soon can you be in Minneapolis? Yeah? Cold winters, but they got a great public transit system. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah? There's a thesaurus in the library. Yeah, it's under Y. Good, I'll wait. Who invited you? To the parking lot? Gee, I guess I invited myself. Maybe you want to go somewhere more private. You? Sure. And this, this, I think, will just go into kind of the overall thing of just how well he's able to play with the detective genre with the high school setting. Yeah. You can understand why you can understand why like executives would have passed on this, right? Like regular people would have passed on this because you're like, wait a minute, you're going to do, because even the Ebert review, right. That, that will, I guess we'll put in the show notes, right. I mean, I'll bring, yeah. Yeah. It's basically like, do these kids even know what they're referencing? (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty condescending, but I mean, it, it is. It's it's Raj. It, no, it, it is. is. It is. But you know, it's just this idea of like, do people even get what you're referencing? Because here's Joseph Gordon Levitt, and you really kind of buy him as this preposterous, like, you know, go get knocked yeah. around, go pick fights. Because he, you know, he goes around, he gets beat up, but then he goes around and he beats other people up. And you don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch it and think like, oh, it's just this silly high school thing. It's set in high school, yeah. but but the key that you know they they talk a little bit about is like the characters in the world it is the most significant 
you know, they are living their most significant now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a big thing I, I, I heard, I've heard a few critics talk about of how, or maybe it was just kind of like retrospective of the movie of when you're in high school and Ben, and we can probably attest to this. Like when you're in high school, every decision you make feels like life or death. If that yeah. makes sense, like either death of your social status or uh, the rise of your social status. But now throw in a dead body. Yeah. Then it really is life or death. That's why I think is so unique is that he can he's able to realize that in high school, when you're that young, the stakes feel so high. Well, let's actually just like mirror that with a, a story where the stakes are actually life or death and, and are pretty high. And so that's what makes it so unique is that he's able to kind of meld those two things together. And like some of the things that I want to bring up of like how he takes tropes or just like not even just tropes from the genre, but just like things from like what you think of real life that fit into like a high school setting where I, I noticed how like they use locker numbers like they would use addresses of like, oh, where's her locker at? I, I forgot her, what's her what's her locker number. I don't know what it is. How'd she find me? Oh, I gave her a lock, your locker number. It's like very much like, oh, this is just like the world they live in. And this is like their locker is their like their mailbox or their office type thing. And they're dropping off letters as a way to communicate. Yeah, and it, it really doesn't have that feel of like a 40-year-old trying to remember what high school was like. Exactly. Do, do you know what I mean? Yes, it doesn't exactly. feel like no, no, exactly. It doesn't yeah. feel like someone who like went to high school one day long ago and was like, I remember back then and you know, the fast cars and the it's none of that. It's yeah, it's not it's not nostalgic for high school. No. Like not, <laughs> you not don't want to like be it, in this movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you remember it the, the great thing is it it hooks you with like, oh, I totally believe the stakes. I totally believe the stakes. Yeah. And the urgency that everyone, just the heightened anxiety that everyone exudes in the yeah. whole movie. You're like, of course, definitely. But there's nothing <laughs> about it where you're like, I want this to happen to me. I think, because and think too, because when I first watched it, I didn't love this movie when I watched it in college. Like you loved it in college. And I think it's because early on, it's for one, I didn't, I wasn't entrenched in the noir detective genre that well, or as much as I am now. So, like, I didn't get, as we said, Ebert talking about not getting the references. I didn't get the references, so everything felt odd. Mm -hmm. But now coming to it and just seeing, like I said, how perfectly he's able to kind of take all the tropes. But how, like, it, it's a high school movie, but not a high school movie. Like, he's weirdly able to capture the feel, like I said, feeling of a high school kid, but putting it in this kind of context. And one other thing I want to bring up, too, with this, of, like, the kind of the updated noir elements and talk about the sociological aspects of it in a way is that the social circles, it felt like when, when, when starting this movie this time is that Brendan feels like, hear me out, like a soldier coming back from world war two. And he's figuring out where's everybody at from my past life. So he's a guy who's been kind of ostracized from these social circles and he doesn't know what anyone's up to now. He's been like eating lunch by himself off somewhere else because he's he's just left this group of people yeah and now he's coming back into that world and seeing what has changed since he left 
And just to give everyone, if you if you've made it this far and you haven't seen the movie, <laughs> I think that his like eating alone phase is like two weeks or something, right? Like yes, yeah, it's yeah. So he's like, but it's like, who's she hanging out with now? Yeah. Oh, I see she's with that group over there. Yeah. Or like, oh, I forgot her locker number. It's just very much like you're a hundred percent right. But again, it's like it's totally <laughs> preposterous. You know that yeah. that that the comparison. Like the thread seems like it's just so tenuous and it just work. It just does work. It it's works, really yeah. magical. And then, and then going off that, like a scene, like Brendan and the vice principal yeah. is, is like a detective dealing with a commissioner, like a, like a police officer. Yeah. Like they're, they're seen in the office where like, they basically like make a deal. Hey, I'll find out what's happening if you don't do this to me or whatever. Like Richard Roundtree, who I'll probably bring up later, but like, it's just a great, like, it feels like a cop and detective scene. But it's a vice principal talking to a kid. <laughs> yeah, and that, but that's <laughs> that's so the weird. thing about Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this film. That's probably if you're gonna pick a scene of like where Joseph Gordon-Levitt really makes you believe that he is this like you know bigger bigger than high school, right? He mm -hmm. he feel he fills the role of detective because they're sort of peers yeah. talking to each other. Because there's a whole there's these great turns in that scene. Where basically yeah. he's like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do this to you, and I'm gonna do that to you, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like, let's let's do this, let's go. I got all, <laughs> I got all, you know, and he all, gets, right, all semester, baby. Yeah, he gets let's right back this. in his face, and you're like, whoa, you can't do that, you know. The, again, the setting, <laughs> they they play with the setting in so many great ways, where they're just not going for the like poke you in the, you know, this is not, you know, Twenty One Drum Street or something where they're they're riffing on. You know how dumb old people are, and how funny. You know the the new hip craze. It's just none of that. I, I know I'm repeating it, but um, that scene is electric. Okay, Brandon, I've been looking to talk to you, man. You've helped this office out before. No, I gave you chair to see him eaten, not to see you fed. Fine. Very well put. Accelerated English, Mrs. Kasprzyk. Tough teacher. Tough, but fair. Okay, we know you're clean. And you've, despite your motives, you've always been an asset to this office. And you're a good kid. Uh-huh. I wanna run some names past you. Hold it, we're not done here. I was done here three months ago. I told you then I'd give you Jer and that was that. I'm not your inside line and I'm not your boy. That's not very You know helpful. what I'm in if the wrong Yeg saw me pulled in here? What are you in? No. And no more of these informal chats either. You got a discipline issue with me? Write me up or suspend me. And I'll see you at the parent conference. I love his scenes with, with Brain. Mm -hmm. Like his buddy who just like is just always sitting in the back, like on the back wall of the school. Using a Rubik's Cube, playing a Rubik's Cube. Apparently the only actor who is actually high school age in the movie. He's like... Oh, really? Yeah, he's like 16 at the time of filming, which is wild. Well, he plays it well. Like, yeah. he plays it... I mean, it's, <laughs> he it's plays like, it like uh, he is. He plays it like a high school kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, it's... Because, it's again, and also, too, I guess, when, like, looking at, like, the genre of it, it's interesting kind of, like, seeing what the high school characters are kind of, like, playing in the in the genre aspects does that make sense it's yeah. like he he feels like like his like the informant or even like his secretary in a weird way and mm -hmm. like their office is the back of the school and he's like oh you're gonna see me for a while like not not hold my calls but it's like very much just like i'm gonna, I'm gonna disappear don't tell me where i'm going if i need you i'll contact you type thing yeah. or like it's this kind of second in command that he's like talking to um 
but their scenes are great. I also like the theater scenes. Cause he also, it's interesting what, what Johnson does of like, there's a lot of characters, but the characters aren't always interacting with one another, even though they're in the same story. Yeah. And some, some of that, I, th- again, is like limits of the budget, I think, because like, that you know, too. they basically, it is, the glue is Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the rest of the time, it's almost always two people. I mean, there, there are definitely some group scenes. There's some bigger scenes, but there's not many. There's not, there's not many. It's, it is a, it's a small movie. It feels, you know, I don't know if it feels huge, but again, it, it, it sort of goes beyond what I think it's budget or. Yeah. You know. It doesn't feel like a big borrow steel movie. Yeah. As we were kind of saying earlier, it feels like there's a little bit of like backing and a little bit of like, I don't want to, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but a little bit of experience behind it. Yeah. Like it doesn't no, feel like a first feature. No, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, a touchstone movie, touchstone, I don't know, not the studio, a movie that is in this, that to me sort of connects in a similar way of just like inspirational, of like, you know, wow, they really pulled this off with not much is all the real girls. And that movie has a lot of the things that I'm talking about where it's like, it feels cheap in places. You know what I mean? It, it feels it feels like they're really, really trying to string that thing together. Like it's just in post, rescuing stuff with VO, like off screen. You know what I mean? They're trying to make the threads all connect. That is not Brick at all. No. And I think also, too, it, a lot of that comes also from the visual style they do. Because they have some crazy visuals in this movie for the amount of money they have yeah of like and some some stuff it feels a little like some of the cuts feel a little uh like not say amateurish but kind of early like first time feature but they have these like they'll have these smash cuts or they'll have like the one where like the garbage bag type thing or yeah. like the blackness comes over him when he wakes up they did up. it all in camera basically yeah yeah be all this just having camera because I, I couldn't like afford special effects yeah. essentially and in, in, in post. it's creepy though that's a creepy that yeah. that shot in particular they're, they're taking that that setting of the tunnel and then the bag gets pulled off and she's apparently they filmed it in reverse and so her yeah. walk is creepy like it's it's trippy it's i mean again for the money for the whatever it's it's impactful. Yeah, it's a it's a movie too. When going back this time and seeing, especially early on, how dreamlike it all feels. Yeah, like with the transitions, with like the weird the weird scene too, um, is the mansion scene. Yeah, like they go into where it's like this kind of like, again, it's this weird like it feels like it's an adult party, but it's all high school kids that are in this like weird like under construction abandoned mansion well type it was thing. under construction yeah it was yes yeah. it was and we'll go into that but yeah it was under construction but it's just, like, it's just weird like setting and there's kind of like these dissolves and and lar like the the the, the kind of the femme fatale of the movie yeah it's like singing on the piano like it's it's like it's like a detective walking into a club yeah in a 1940s movie and seeing the femme fatale singing a song and then him chatting with her at the table once she's done like that's what it feels like. Yeah, and the when you say it like that, it feels like oh, it's so copy paste. Do you know what I mean? I know, I know, yeah, that's yeah, not, yeah. I know that's not what you're saying, but like it's it is like just a rubber stamp of the genre beat. But when you're yeah. watching it, because it's just it, do, yeah. it just doesn't feel that way. Your your reference, 
I mean, again, I, I wasn't like drenched in noir when I first saw this, right? It's just like, you know, I knew some of the beats of the genre, but like, you know, seeing it again, even now, just watching it, you know, recently, it's like, you're just not in that mode. You know, it's not, it's not black and white. They're playing with shadows, but it's not that yeah, it, it's not exaggerated that. in the way that it, it, it doesn't feel like you're, oh, you just, you know, reskinned you this. Ripped it, yeah, yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel ripped from another movie no. in the way that a summary might make it feel that way. So why are you here tonight? I'm looking for Emily. Em's been AWOL for a good month. Nobody's seen her. I saw her yesterday. Nearly nobody. Listen, you're scratching at the wrong door. I didn't know Em well enough to know the details of what she was in. I just got wind of the downfall. If you haven't got a finger in Em's troubles, then why did her name get me into your rather exclusive party? Keep up with me now. I don't know, but it sounded like you did. And Body's got a right to be curious. No, I'm not so sure. I'll put that body to bed. I don't know a damn thing about whatever troubles, and that works for me. I just want to find her. And Lucas Haas is just, like, great in that role of the pen. Yeah. Again, he he fills it in a way that, like, he's ominous, but, you know, you come to find out through the movie that he's, he's really not, you know... Um, maybe as villainous as you first think, right? The great thing about the movie and this and this genre, right, is just the the reveal of information, how you think you've got it figured out, how the, you know, you're following along with the detective, you're following along with Jessica Gordon-Levitt, you know that he's not, you know, a genius. He's just stumbling along through, right? These are all genre yeah. things. But, like, you think, oh, yeah, this is our bad guy. This is our, this is where the movie's going to go. And it, you know, and it doesn't, you, you kind of have these great yeah. scenes with the pen throughout the movie. I think, I think their interaction is potentially some of my favorite. Um, no, no, I, I mean, I, and also like the, I mean, the ending scene of, I mean, again, spoilers, if you've gotten this far <laughs> of like the pens, like death, yeah, like the whole, the whole, like kind of double cross scene or like raid scene they have at the end where like uh tug is just like, you're hearing the pen, like yell for, for Brennan. It's, it's dark. Like it's it's well, I mean, he's stumbling out of the room with this incredible lighting and the hallway is weird and they're yeah, they're doing all these moves to make you just feel totally the kind of dream. It it feels like a, another dream sequence, right? That's the kind of cool part of what they do a lot in the film is is some of that. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I have that I want to bring up is the ending uh, when Brendan and Lara kind of have their. It's the it's the big reveal kind of thing at the end of the movie. And a detective thing where it's always like, and even in a mystery movie where it's like the detective reveals everything they found out in the process of the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get the big reveal of like who was behind it all. And essentially you find out it was Laura the entire time that kind of planted the seeds with everything. and was like, had a, had a hand. It wasn't the pen. It wasn't tug. It was her kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and then you get that last big reveal of the, oh, what you thought you knew, you didn't know at all. Like, mm -hmm. the the kid of your dead girlfriend, the kid of the dead girlfriend, <laughs> so this is a lot of spoilers here, yeah. um, the kid of the dead, girl, dead girlfriend wasn't this other guy's, it was yours the entire time. And it's just like, it's a last dig from, from her. Like, mm -hmm. there's no reason for him to know this, but she just wants to do one more dig at Brennan after all these 
it's after vicious, him just calling her out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, vicious a vicious move. move. Yeah, and it's she, a femme fatale move. Yes. Yeah, and she and she plays it. Um, you know, she she plays it pretty great because she just walk. Yeah. You know, the big a big thing from that final scene is her walk away, where they just play it out, which I love. Yeah. They just play that yeah. shot out for a long time. It's just mm-hmm. her walking across that field. Um, because yeah, it's it's kind of a knockout blow that he has to just sit there and absorb. Um, yeah, yeah, and realize not that he didn't he couldn't save her in time, but he couldn't save his like unborn kid. It's a lot for the setting, but yes, but not unheard of, not unheard of. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's it. It's a surprising. It is a surprising ending. I would say. Yeah, like I remember being pretty floored because you know another piece of the movie is that they said you know one of the things that they noted in the in the commentary is just like you know they they were not waiting for you to catch up they weren't looking over their shoulder like come along i mean i i know that i watched just initially like i think i saw it once and i saw it twice there there were pieces that i was still putting together second third viewing for sure which is like part of the ryan johnson thing for sure brothers bloom is that way looper is that way again we'll skip over star wars and just say it could be that way knives out is definitely that way definitely that way yeah yeah i mean i saw knives out twice in theater because the first time was great and the second time i was like you you sneaky (laughs) 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 which is so much of the fun i mean you know okay this is this is where i'm revealing my fandom but i mean Obviously, there are movies in this style, right? He's taking genres. We've we've been over that, but the rewatchability, you know, it's yeah. it's special. It's special because yeah, he he doesn't make he doesn't make movies that are just like, have not sound insulting to other films, um, <laughs> but like I have no, he doesn't give you like in and out movies if that makes sense, like yeah. It's like one oh, of the lines I heard about people talking about Tenet is that it's like it's a fun journey while you're in it. And then when you're done, you're like, wait a minute, what? Like what yeah, happened? Yeah. You know, and that's <laughs> just that's just not the fun of Knives Out, the fun of Brick, the fun of all these yeah, yeah. is that you really are left going, now wait a minute, the t- tug did this, the pen did that. Would it have been this but way? But that's but that's also the genre. I want to because we we've talked this before. Yeah. Thomas and I yeah. with the previous months or whatever with the with kind of noir and crime stuff. It's like the plot is just so like you can't. There's so many questions around a lot of the plots, and they're usually trying to connect as this one kind of does like multiple stories at once type thing. Like there's your plot A story. Like your plot A story with this one is the disappearance of the girl of the girlfriend, her death, and the plot B is like what happened to the drugs type. Th- type thing and you're yeah, seeing how they sure. interconnect Great summary. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no no, ryan no would be, ryan mean, would be happy but yeah it's like and you're seeing like how they interconnect and then you realize oh wait they both they're not separate they're together and that's yeah. what you find out as the movie progresses but that's the genre trope but but i think just to give it another compliment to say like it's not just ripped out of a you know a, a yeah. xerox machine like you yeah. i don't know the weird thing about the big the weird thing about my memory of this movie is that it's all jumbled <laughs> up in my mind differently than it really is. Like I was yeah. rewatching it and going like, you. now wait a minute, this is at the beginning because like, you know, again, I've, 
I sort of remember most of the pieces and, and, and all that, but the ordering is very specific and it's not the standard issue. Like someone walks into his office and here's the, you know, like you guys were talking about some of the early movies where early noir movies where, uh, you know, you've got this puff, you know, case or, you know, like a, an A or a B yeah, line that's just yeah, kind of obviously yeah. like, well, that won't matter. It will matter. It doesn't feel that way. It just sort of feels like he's poking around. He's trying to talk to people. You don't really know why. And it's hard. It just is hard. Their dialogue. We haven't probably, again, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, you're doing it wrong. But their dialogue, it, you know, every actor that was on the commentary was basically like, I was in because of the script, you know, and you have to kind of say that, I guess, if you're talking with the director, but the writer director, but the dialogue is, it's a pitter patter, like really fast pace. They're not repeating stuff they're, and they use co- the other things they're using like coded language and symbols. And you're like, yeah. what the hell is happening? What are you talking about? There's like a thumbprint. There's like a yeah. thumbprint a, and you're like, what the hell is this? Which is obviously the genre and the, and the mystery, but <laughs> you know, there's not a big time where they put up a billboard and they're like, that's what this means. This is what this word means. Yeah. You see? Yeah. See? Um, no, I get that. Uh, any more, any more scenes before we move on? I, f- I feel like at, at some point we're halfway to, to reenacting the movie. The whole movie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's the chase scene. There's the chase scene with, with Joseph the Gordon-Levitt. Chase, is, is yeah, chase good. scene through the campus, which apparently yeah. was the first, the first, yeah. uh, scene they shot. Where they almost, they said they almost really harmed. Because <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt's wearing these, like, uh, dress shoes, right? And yes. he's running yeah. full tilt very committed and they <laughs> they were just talking about how they were his shoes they were not prop shoes they were his shoes that he had worn for years and they were falling apart they kept falling apart they were gluing them together they were doing all this stuff and so he was running and sliding all over the place and it's like whew, i don't i don't know about that day man that's that's a, that's a ballsy move for yeah, day one day one like day one that's like that's an ending scene like that's the last thing you shoot of a movie what's the most dangerous scene our guy could be doing Let's well, and they, they had this, you know, that trip the moment. They said they did that trip and almost like the second take or something. They really almost caused the the villain or the guy chasing him to really fall and really hurt himself. Oh, his! Oh man! And so they were like, "Oh shit!" And then, and then they apparently had a shot, you know, of the camera over him, and somehow the yeah. camera rig, like, almost fell, almost fell on him, and they're like, "Oh man! Oh, this is let's maybe tighten the ship up here." Day one. That insurance is going to be rough. Well, g- speaking of all that, let's go into onset life yeah. with that. Uh, and you can give me a few more references to that that I didn't because I didn't listen to the commentary. I didn't have access to the commentary like you did. Ben. Uh, I mean, guys, I just, you know, with my glasses up my nose and. As we said, the film was set, was shot in Ryan Johnson's hometown of San Clemente. And most of the filming took place at his former high school, San Clemente High School. Um, I think he said it was cathartic coming back there and 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 doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, while on set, they made sure not to reference other noir films because Johnson didn't want it to be a straight genre piece. When Joseph Gordon-Levitt and other cast as well were prepping for the were prepping for their roles, Johnson told them not to watch any noir films, gave them mostly Dashiell Hammett novels. Uh, for Gordon, for Gordon Levitt, he told him to watch Billy Wilder comedies like The Apartment, and also Howard Hawks's His Girl Friday, which I think, well, I mean, it is 
I didn't hear him say this, but it's before the dialogue, because the dialogue is so like, like rat tat tat, like very yeah. the pacing of it um, is just very much of that era. And Billy Wilder was probably the greatest and the Howard Hawks movies, of that era, probably the greatest in terms of that kind of dialogue and Cary Grant with his girl Friday. Um, yeah. And, so, and Ryan Johnson pretty specifically called Joseph Gordon-Levitt's not on the commentary that I listened to, but he was very specifically like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, you know, is an anchor to the film, but also was very specific about what he wanted to do and was involved um, you know, maybe more than you might, I, I don't know, but he was in, heavily involved in how he wanted to, to sort of play the role and, and how other people interacted with him and was involved in casting for some of the other people, it sounds like. So he was really maybe more in line with like a co-producer, it sounds like. Yeah. It's because I, I had read that Johnson had given him a lot of, or given like, let him have ownership in some way of the film. And I don't know if that was because if, if there was money involved or just like, hey, you're a big part of this creative process. I mean, Gordon Levitt has appeared in, in several. And I mean, I feel like I don't know if it's all of his films, but he's a cameo in Brothers Bloom mm-hmm. and he's in Looper. And I think he's a cameo as like a stormtrooper in Last Jedi. So like they're like they they've had a, a partnership of some way and a friendship since this movie. Um, his director of photography, Steve Yedlin. I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh, Yedlin, who was a film school definitely friend of John. Yeah, he's definitely listening. He never know. Uh, no, who was a film school, who, who, who was a film school friend of Ryan Johnson had been on board since the script was written uh, for the visual references for the film. They did not look at noir films. I keep saying that uh, instead. They looked at Sergio Leone's spaghetti Westerns and the popular anime cowboy bebop as a way to tackle the visuals of brick. Here's a few things about the sets we've kind of talked about. Uh, Johnson had difficulty finding a rundown house for Penn's base or base of operations. The production found an appropriate house, but only had a week until it was demolished to rebuild its lot on its lot. Uh, the basement was a set they had built, but the Penn's kitchen and living room still exist at the Blarney Castle bed and breakfast. Well, there you go. Johnson also had difficulties finding a mansion for the party scene until with one day left to find the location, a for, former telecom executive, an eccentric millionaire, allowed him to shoot in his place, which was still under construction. Uh, the big mansion was packed from floor to ceiling with payphones dating back to the 1950s. Yeah, I mean, they, they talk about sort of some of his eccentric things, but basically they had um, they had another location in that neighborhood lined up and it fell through day before late afternoon, which if you've ever, (laughs) because it's one, it's yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) If you've ever, you know, if you've ever tried to make something, number one, that's going to happen, you know, but number two, it's a big, uh, it's not a, it's not a thing. It's not a scene in the movie where you could go, okay, well let's go film it in a parking lot. Like it, that mad scramble, like, you know, mad respect uh, in hearing about how they pulled a lot of this off, right? Because it is, again, beg, borrow, steal. That's, that falls through. And then they just talk to this rich guy across the street. And he apparently still, like, you know, w- would stay in touch with them and, you know, whatever. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, no, I, I just think that's great. I mean, it, it lines up with, you know, those six years that they were trying to make the movie. 
Yeah. You know, he said that they had a lot of false starts where they had a cast, they thought they had the money, something falls through, an actor pulls out, money falls through, whatever. So just the, you know, now Ryan Johnson's made a Star Wars movie. He's worked with Daniel Craig. Like, we're all like, well, no, no, duh. You know what I mean? But at the time, you know, it's it's just inspirational because it's basically like they just kept at it. They just kept at it. Yeah. For whatever reason, they just kept at it. And obviously a lot of people do that and they don't become Star Wars directors. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously. Can you guess how long the film production lasted? Oh, I know they talked about this. It's like 24 days or something. It's 20 days is what yeah. I saw, what I found out. 20 yeah. days. So essentially three weeks is kind of like was is basically what it was like less than three weeks it's not super tight but it's not it's not it's not, uh, it's not long yeah, yeah. yeah okay aftermath of the film the film premiered i remember we said it started shooting in 20 in 2003 the film premiered at the 2005 sundance film festival january of 2005 where it was met with a positive reception uh even with the positive reception from a rookie filmmaker there wasn't really a bidding war for the film after it premiere, which usually will happen after its initial premiere at Sundance, uh, especially if there's a lot of buzz around it. Sony Pictures was interested, but finally at the end of the festival, Focus Features bought the film for a total of $2 million. Good deal. So, and, and being as the budget was $450,000. Yeah. Usually, usually, I mean, investing in films are, are tough, but that's a, that's a good, <laughs> good bit of profit there. Yeah, I mean, uh, investment is usually not the word that people put in. You know, they're like they put it's usually money giving into your a money, film. Give, yeah, yeah, giving your money away. No, putting your money in the film. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because in the commentary, again, this is all their own yeah. lore as they tell it. But the uh, his producing partner, uh, Ram Ram Bergman, Ron Bergman, mm-hmm. uh, which anyway, it's his producing. I think it's still his producing partner now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they did yeah, Knives Ron Out Bartman. together. Um, they did. And Looper and Last yeah. Jedi. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, he was saying how he's he's the one. I mean, I'm just telling you what he said, basically. <laughs> I can't verify. But he's basically like, he's the one that came to Johnson and was like, look, you're doing it wrong. You're trying to do this for too much money. If you want to get this made, you got to do it for under a million. Uh, and then I can help you. I can help you do that. I can help you do it for under a million. You got to find ways to to get it down to that. Um, but then when they took it to Sundance, he was like, he under, he unsold it. Basically. He's yeah. like, he'd taken, apparently he had taken stuff to Sundance before, I guess was part of his spiel. And he basically just told executives and, and people from, you know, acquisition or whatever. He's like, you, you don't need to come to this. You, this isn't your movie. This isn't going to be a movie <laughs> you want. You don't want this movie. It's, you know, it's quirky. It's weird. You're not, this isn't for you. And so, you know, he said that they played it um, anyway. It, it played to like not huge audiences, and they didn't do special screenings for some of the studios that they maybe would have or could have. But then yeah, it yeah. kind of kept building buzz, you know. And it again, it didn't sound like it had a bidding war. But it's just this movie is not a movie that you necessarily think like, "Damn, I got to put some money behind this and put it in theaters." You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Yeah, I know what you mean. If home video wasn't about to start dying at this point and and like when it came out, like this would have been a bigger hit on video, probably, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if this is the nineties, this is the movie you're getting on like VHS or then DVD, and that's in your like your college dorm room collection mm-hmm. type thing. Uh so the film 
uh, was not released in theaters until April 7th, 2006, over a year after its initial premiere at Sundance. When it was released, it received a positive critical reception, with critics praising how compelling the updated setting was for the noir genre. Uh, we usually talk about Ebert on this episode, on this show, as many film podcasts do. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film three stars out of four. Ebert said, what, what is impressive is Johnson's absolute commitment to his idea of the movie style. He relates to the classic crime novels and movies. He notes the way their mannered dialogue and behavior elevates the characters into archetypes, and he uses the strategy to make his teenagers into hard-boiled guys and dolls. The actors enter into the spirit. We never catch them winking. Yeah. Ebert did, however, say, because I want to talk about this, but I think you mentioned it earlier, the movie has one inevitable point of vulnerability. Because we can't believe in the characters, we can't care about their fates. They have lifestyles, not lives. The same can be said of many, not all, noir films, and it's because of style. It is because of the style that we treasure them. So he's saying, like, you I mean it's it's not like they're they're archetypes, is what he's saying. Yeah. And the archetypes work, but we're not seeing like the character, like it's you're not seeing a John Hughes movie set in this world that makes sense where you're finding out about all the levels of the character or whatever yeah i mean um, do i believe that the pin is real no you know do i believe that, <laughs> that that joseph gordon levitt is going around with his hands in his pockets you know as a hardball detective no um but but yeah so i i, I take his point um i i will say i i don't always watch movies <laughs> For period, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, <laughs> touche. Uh, when I do, uh, you know, it's it. I would I would say it fits into that expectation for me of like an escape. You know, you're you're in a different world. Uh, yeah, I don't believe it's real, but I believe it's interesting. No, I agree with you on that. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, the movie would gross three point nine million at the box office. Because it's final tally. That's Star Wars money. That's, that's Star Wars Pre, money. Precursor. Uh, what? Yeah. What? What worked about the film, Ben? Oh, Brandon, you're you're hitting me with this after we've praised it uh, pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah. Just bullet points. Bullet points. Uh, I mean, I think the cinematography is interesting. They shot it on thirty-five. It it looks pretty great. Um, again, considering some of the constraints, the acting is, I think it's pretty spot on. There's, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is definitely the the person that you, if you look through the IMDb credits, he's the guy, right? I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he's gone on and, and worked with Ryan Johnson and and everybody knows who I'm talking about. A lot of the other actors. <laughs> yeah, they uh, don't. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They just don't. I mean, some of them are really great and th this is not their ticket to infinite fame. I mean, I think one uh, actor that's, that's really funny. Um, Hold on, let me get the... He's in uh, a bunch of other... He's in every Ryan Johnson movie, basically. It's uh, it's not Noah Fleisch. It's uh, Noah Segan. Uh, he plays Dode in Brick. And he's in okay. Knives Out as one of the state troopers, I guess. Is that who the main detectives I think, are? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's think, one yeah, of the state troopers. He's in Brothers you. Bloom. He's got this small role. Um, yeah. You know, so... I think Ryan Johnson, again, is sort of working with constraints and pulling off something that's 
really, really great. I mean, again, like not to keep coming back to it because like a budget is whatever people lie, borrow, steal, cheat. The numbers don't really matter. But I mean, yeah. tell me movies from this time period that are of that budget that really sort of feel cohesive in a world that's not real. Again, you're not trying yeah. to do like a coming of age even though this is, you know, set in high school and is kind of coming of age. But, like, yeah. a lot of those Sundance movies from this time period, again, are, like, Juno or, I don't know, I'm thinking of different yeah, things yeah. where it's, like, you're filming a person sitting on a couch or, like, walking through the woods or... Yeah, it's, it's that mumblecore. It's yeah. very dialogue-heavy. Yeah. Dialogue-heavy in a different way. Yeah, that's what I'm uh, critiquing. Is It's just, like, it's not that... You, yeah, it's just not that. So I, I think it's yeah. pretty special. We haven't talked about this, but I'm going to shout out the score because I like the score. Yeah, it's his cousin. As well... It's yeah, it's his cousin, and I'll get into that about film facts. But yeah, I'll, more about how that got made. Um, but it was his cousin that did it, uh, and it's great. It it, ha it has a a noir aspect to it, but not fully. It's it feels very fresh and unique. Um, so yeah, and I, as we'll and we'll get into that with the film facts. Um, did anything not work, Ben? Um. I do think that some of the acting feels a little clunky, especially because the dialogue is, um, you know, it's very unnatural. No doubt about yeah, it. Like no, it's, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very unnatural. And there are moments where you definitely, I, you know, I don't want to pick a scene or, or particular actors. Person. It's not, yeah, a, yeah. it's not egregious. You know what I mean? But there are just moments where you, it just sort of loses some of its energy it doesn't have some of that magic. Um, I will say even the kind of finale for me in rewatching it, it, it doesn't... Doesn't land as much? It doesn't land as much. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is good, but because he's playing such a stone-cold, you know, face uh, and presence, I don't, I don't know that it... It's not always, you know, humming in a perfect, uh, perfect pitch, I think. I do wonder what a shorter version of this film looks like. Interesting. Cause it's right. It's right at, it's, it's a little under two an hour and 50. I guess for me, it just felt like because the dialogue is so different for the time and may, and may it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a preference thing because the dialogue is so 1940s esque, And because you're constantly trying to keep up with everything. I wonder what 10 minutes out of this movie feels like. I'm not saying yeah, I know. I mean, that's cut. a great number to pick too. Because yeah. no, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. There, there are some moments that that are drawn out maybe more than they need to be. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's interesting because I mean, the the old man in me when I sat down to rewatch this, I was like, oh man, <laughs> two hours. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you know it. I gotta stay awake for this. Uh, you know, two yeah. hours is it, it is because it it feel especially for the budget. Right, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're doing the slow budget thing, you think it would be closer to ninety. You See, know, I, I honestly, when coming back to this, I thought it was ninety minutes. I, I thought did it would too. Be around no, ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's I was disappointed <laughs> because again, my memory of the film is all jumbled up, weird. But my memory of the length is that it moves pretty quick, and it's like ninety yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, it's two hours, and I I did have some parts. I mean, I was I was listening to the commentary and watching. You know, I'm watching the the images go by to remember a lot of yeah, it, yeah. but it. it <laughs> there's moments there's yeah. moments you know yeah well th there is still i guess we haven't 
I feel like I've said a lot of things that are kind of circling the same thing, but there is still, because of the high school setting, there is still some of that focus on the minutia of, you know, relationships and who said what and who did this. And some of that, some of that feels like they are trying to play to the high school thing more than noir. Like I don't remember a lot of noir films you know, really getting into who's sitting where and, and, you know, just the, like who broke up with who and like some of that is to establish sort of the authenticity of like high school, I think. Yeah. yeah, But I think that fits into that category of like, I don't know. I just, I just don't know that I need all of this. Cause again, it's kind of hard to sift through because it is so opaque with the dialogue. It's like, it's hard Mm -hmm. to sift through like, what am I trying to follow here? And sometimes it does feel like noise. It does feel like, They're trying to throw you off, but it's not red herrings. It's just sort of noise. And I think it's because too, like, because again, with this genre, the plot is the it, it, plot is, this is so heavy in it, but the plot doesn't matter at the end of the day. In most of these movies, if that makes sense. It's just kind of like, who did this? So who cares? Like, that's just kind of what it is. And I wonder like, if we take 10 minutes out, do we lose anything or do, or does it get worse? I don't know. But I just felt like this time I've kind of always felt this, is I always get like an hour into it. I'm like, oh, damn, I got like another hour. I know. <laughs> that is exactly Le- the moment left. for me. I was looking at it like, wait a minute. I think, aren't we, aren't we near done? done? Are we done? <laughs> all right. All right. I'm, we, we praise it so much. We can say one thing. Um, we should tweet it. We should it. tweet Ryan Johnson and say, dear Ryan Johnson. Dear, dear I mean, we're going to, we're going to tweet him when I said, when we started announcing the episode. So we've, we'll see what uh, we've got a podcast episode. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a scathing review from oh Ryan Johnson. Oh boy. Ryan, I, but, but we support you in everything you do. So moving on. We're, <laughs> Knives I mean, out we too. Do. Can't wait. I mean, yeah. Last Jedi still getting into arguments to this day with people still not friends with certain people. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, alternate universe cast. I had none, uh, that I could find. So film facts, uh, this was said in the Ebert review said throughout me people's thing, which is a big tidbit at that point. The film was edited on a home computer. Big deal in 2005 or 2004 yeah. kind of when they did it. I mean, I guess that would have been final because I was in college. I mean, this would have been Final Cut 6, Final Cut 3, Maybe. Final Cut 4 or something. As we said, music score was composed by Ryan's cousin, Nathan Johnson. Um, the score harkens back to the style, feeling overall texture of noir films. It features traditional instruments such as the piano, trumpet, and violin, and also contains unique and invented in- instruments such as the uh, metellophone, tack pianos, filing cabinets, and kitchen utensils, all recorded with one microphone on a beat-up Apple Power Book. Um, since Nathan Johnson was in england during most of the production process the score was composed almost entirely over apple iChat, with ryan johnson playing clips of the movie to nathan johnson who would then score them the two would later meet in new york to mix the final soundtrack yeah and they, and they have cute stories on the commentary about how you know they grew up together he had a big extended family and the two of them would go off and make movies as kids which is just eye roll beautiful <laughs> ridiculous so adorable. Of course, Ryan Johnson made cute movies with his cousin. He did make, he... Yeah, he did make shorts. Yeah. That's it. That's... Of course um, he did. A few more facts. I think Brendan Joseph Gordon-Levitt appears in every scene of the movie. Yeah. I mean, he he's the he's the glue that pulls together the fact that half the time, none of the none of these other characters ever see each other. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, Lucas Haas and Joseph Gordon-Levitt both appeared in what movie together after this? Uh, Don John? No, maybe. Oh. The one that I found. <laughs> what do you mean, maybe? Okay, go know. ahead. There's one There's one specific one. Okay. Inception. Oh. Lucas Haas is, is, is part of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and DiCaprio's team in the opening of Inception. Yeah, okay. Johnson cast Nora Zahetner, apologize if I butchered that name, in the role of Lara after he saw her in the film May, which Johnson served as the lead editor for in 2002. Um, so that's how she got cast. And this one, I don't know if this is true, but I love this story. DP Steve Yedlin had been working on several sets after graduating from film school, and he said that if he met a cool producer on one of those sets... He would slip them one of the copies of Brick, which he carried around everywhere on whatever set he went to. That's a real that's a real guy, right? That's a real friend right there. No, that's apparently that's a loyal dude. That's a yeah, that's apparently that six year time period is like, Mm -hmm. you know, he wrote it. Ryan Johnson wrote it. And then he had these friends. I mean, the, the other thing I love about Ryan Johnson, he says it in the commentary. He's like, I was too introverted to actually go out and meet a lot of yeah. people that I was supposed to like people were like go talk to this person I'm like I'm not going to do that <laughs> which, I th- which I think <laughs> is great but he had these friends who believed you know here I am pulling out your heartstrings but it's like he had these <laughs> friends from film school that believed in him that took copies of the script handed it producers and then he got in touch and like and and then clearly like they did the hard part and actually made the movie yeah but you know that's that's just warm and fuzzy to have your friends go to bat yeah. for you and believe in you that's come on who doesn't want friends like that and he and he has been his dp i think on every film he's made since then yeah i mean he's kind of like you know a wes anderson type character who has this little cohort of people that go around and make he movies does. and again god who doesn't want that come on you you help I don't your, know, yeah your friend make a small movie and then he becomes a star wars director and then you're the dp for star wars come on um Story questions, Ben. One, I don't know because I can't remember. Is there a single scene in an actual classroom in this movie? Um, I mean, they have this stuff, the theater theater scenes, which, you know, there's theater class, right? Yeah. Um, is there I a really, class I think there's like one or two, but I can't remember. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember it. It's mostly exteriors of the school. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And it's kind of this like Southern California high school where like all the lockers are kind of like in this yeah. like kind of walkway like like a uh, outdoor type school in a way. I think the only time he's inside the school is when he's talking to the assistant principal the, or whatever. Prince, yeah, vice principal. Yeah, the yeah. Vice principal. Uh, my last question, a big one. It's been, it's been a big question on the, on the on the interwebs. Oh boy, within the, within the brick fandom. And you think you think I'm the guy that's going to? And I think this? Ben, I think Ben, you're gonna you have an answer for Prepare this. Prepare to be your, disappointed. It's it's your opinion. Okay. Uh, is the brain a figment of Brendan's imagination? Um, because he never he never appears. He never appears. But Brendan. But I think some other people mention the brain. I think there's some other characters who say. Where'd you find that? And he says, you know, the brain told me, which is, kind of, okay. I guess the name could be his brain. I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't think so. I, Ryan I also, Johnson, he's never confirmed or denied it, but he's like, that's a fun theory. Yeah. I would say that it's basically <laughs> a fun theory. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. so they did say that like, because he was the one actor who was, uh, 
actually underage. He was, you yeah, know, he yeah. was high school. That the, you know, the SAG rules for that age range are just totally different. So you can't shoot for yeah, very yeah. long. So I think that's a big reason why he's not in a bunch of scenes with other people is they just couldn't potentially pull true. it off. Yeah, you, when you think about you think about like all the like kind of like it's just just Gordon Levitt one other person type scenes. It's the him and uh, I think Kara, who's the, the the actress, where it's like a lot of times in her dressing room mm-hmm. or like in the back of the school. But one of the visual jokes that's funny is she's always got that lap dog that I think they call him lap yeah. dog. I think yeah, yeah. I I do like that they go back to that joke a couple times, especially <laughs> like the last time they go back to it. It's really delayed when they deliver it, but but anyway. Hello, Brendan. Kara. Come to see the show? No, I didn't. Lapdog, bloke. Stay. I need words. Well, I'm listening. About Emily Costich. Run and get my purse. Go ahead, hurry up. Still picking your teeth with freshmen? You were a freshman one. Way once, sister. You and Em, tie for a bit. Who's she eating with now? Eating with. Eating with? Lunch? Who? You're a cutie. Brendan. I don't know where she is. I know you do, so why don't you want me to find out? Well, maybe I'm looking out for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Brendan. If you're ever looking to get back into things, I could use you. Awards. All right, Ben, it's time for the awards. Oh, boy. Uh, the BHS Straight Award, Actor, Actress, Limited Scenes That Kills It. Do you have a nominee? I, I think you tipped me off to this. I think it's the vice principal. I think so, too. That's my pick. I mean, because he really... Again, there's so many people kind of playing on par. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is typically the best person in, in every scene that he's in. But that scene, they really jump up a couple notches. Because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. both coming in hot. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of like you know, kind of slacker, like oh, you know, I can't be bothered to think about this, or why are you bothering me? And the two of them in that scene are like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably too at that point, those might be, and I might be speaking. I've heard this, but probably the most experienced actors. Yeah, for sure. At that point, Richard Richard Roundtree and Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. So they're ready to go. Uh, yeah, Richard Roundtree underrated and cool angles in that scene too like they talk about yeah, it they, the, it's like actually low, low angle low angle shots in that scene yeah yeah they were like frustrated because it's a it's a real space that's really small so they couldn't get quote-unquote better angles but i think they're i think they're great angles i think it's super fun because it's really it's really weird how low the camera is but it makes it feel so ominous and and uh impending doom I, sort I, of thing. I, I, I wonder why because i feel like it that goes more in line with like noir films those sure. angles and maybe they didn't want to do it because maybe it went too in line with because i said earlier they wanted to go outside that i could write you up for talking back to a vp and for looking at me in that threatening way i would exercise a little tact mr fry you can't pull a stunt like that unless there's something i need you for so is there maybe Maybe there's something you need from me. Maybe. All right, I need you off my back completely for the next few weeks. There might be some heat soon. If it's something I can't cover, I won't go to bed for you. If I get caught like that, it's curtains anyway. I can't have brass cutting me favors in public. Just letting you know now so you don't come kicking in my homeroom door once trouble starts. Okay. Okay, here's what I can do. 
I won't pin you for anything you aren't caught at. But if anything comes up with your prints on it, I can't help you. Also, if I get to the bottom, whatever this is, and it gets too hot, and you don't deliver, Beep's gonna need someone to turn over, police-wise. And I'll have you. So there better be some meat at the end of this, like you say. Or at least a fall guy. Or you're red. Okay, Annie Potts X Factor Award. Supporting actor, actress as the most memorable. Who do you have? Um, you go first, Brandon. I mean, how how does this differ? I I, I have Lucas Haas. Well, here's the Beatrice Strait is usually like an actor who's in like three, four scenes or less type thing. It's gotcha. kind of how I see it. Like less than ten minutes worth of screen time. Gotcha. It's kind of what we usually go for. Annie Potts X Factor Award is anyone more than 10 minutes that's not your lead person i gotcha i i'm i do like noah segan as dode i think it's a silly like it's it's they're all over the top again although i love the pen i do i do love the pen it's probably the pen i like the pen the pen's my my pick you talked me into it. It's it's the pen. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Noah Segan's good. It's interesting that he doesn't have a bigger career even after all these roles in Ryan Johnson yeah. movies. Because I think I think he's good. I think he's good in all the things that he's in. Uh, the pen, yeah, he's he plays it really. It's really the great. pen. It's got it's yeah. got to be the pen. All right, Lucas Haas, any Potsack Factor Award winner. Toad here says Emily Costa is dead. Oh, yeah? He says he knows who did it. He says he knows where the body is. He says he wants more money than I think the information is worth. So, Doug. So, walk. What's the info I have to do with you, anyways? Plenty. Plenty, he says. Uh huh. He wants cash on the nail. It's a pot skull reform with more hop in his head than blood. I pay for dirt you can't believe. No, you'll believe this. Maybe you will. No, you will. Because it's someone close to you. Real close. Maybe it's hot, but it's dough. You can't trust it. Real close. All right, here's the big one. The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, crew member. Who do you think carries the movie, Ben? I, this is going to be too straightforward, I think, but I think it's probably Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think uh, it's a simple answer. I think Ryan John. it's clearly Ryan Johnson's movie. So I it's mean, the, Ryan Johnson's my Ryan Johnson's my pick. Yeah, and I so maybe that's maybe that's the more straightforward answer, Brandon. <laughs> I, I think it's obviously his movie. He almost certainly could have gotten someone else in the role and delivered a great movie and gone on to make more movies. I think though, I mean, who you you skipped the alternate cast, uh, alternate universe. I ha- there there wasn't anyone. There is I couldn't find anyone else. Well, and were. that's that's why I, that's why I think I'm leaning into this because. Who are, you, who are you going to put in the role? Because, again, you, you are limited to plausibly believable high schoolers. I agree. And, you know, so 
I don't know. There, there's a world in which, because they talked about it, they did have people in some of these roles who, as it took them six years to make it, aged out of the role. So they had to recast. Yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah. You know, they didn't mention that for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I mean, I think I think it's him because I I don't know from that era who it would have been that could have could have brought the heat, and I think, I mean, he again, he's in every scene, so like you're Ryan Johnson, you cast the wrong person, you're real screwed. And then if you're the person who's made a $450,000 feature with a mediocre delivery, I think that's hard to turn around and go make Brothers Bloom, you know? That's true. But could you argue that it's Ryan Johnson that made that call? So... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, if if we want to do that, then it's always the director who wins this question. That's fair. That's fair. I was trying to feed you an alternate view, Brandon. No, 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 I know. I like the alternate view because I, I, I agree. I'm tempted. I mean, I'm, to- I'm torn on both of them because I, I do agree. Sometimes we, we pull in like other factors of like, okay, what's going on in the like in the life of these people? Like, is this the big breakout for this person? Like, is the film yeah. more important for this person over this person? Yeah. But in reality, I think the film is important for both people. Oh, I for think sure. it, it showcases Levitt as a. I mean, he was in, he had been in good performances before then, but for certain people, it showed that he could carry a movie, carry a very offbeat movie, and still give a great performance. Yeah, and it possibly launched him into a lot more roles, and it launched Ryan Johnson's career as a film director. So, it it's a toss up. I'm going to lean towards Ryan Johnson because I think sure. it's a bigger swing for him. Yeah, um, because I think he has more. I mean. For, for lack of a better way, it's he has more money riding on it than Gordon Levitt does. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. We can we can choose different options here. I think as an example, like Knives Out, at that point, right, that's clear that it's Ryan Johnson through and through. Because he's basically, the crazy thing about Knives Out with the behind the scenes that I watch, they they got Daniel Craig because the, the Bond movie bumped, which is wild. They're just like, well, here's, let's go talk with Daniel Craig. And he, you know, he loved it. And then they cast everybody else with like two months to go before shooting. Yeah. Because he's Ryan Johnson, because at that, that, at that point, you know, it's like pick of the litter. You know what I mean? That that tells you so much about how it's his movie at that point. He's like, I can go get anybody who's excited about the script, who wants to work. Let's do it. I think it's a mixture of that and Daniel Craig. I think it's yeah, both yeah, yeah. like For I want to sure. work with I want to work with both these people. There, it's pretty clear there's a lot of actors in that behind the scenes who are googly eyed about Daniel Craig. <laughs> Oh, for sure. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious because Daniel Craig just plays it all just so like wh- you know whatever. I'm Bond. You know, I'm I'm I'm, a... I'm I'm married to Rachel Weisz. I'm totally cool. So so you're going with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm going with Ryan Johnson, co Gene Hackman MVP. What? award winners you're inventing these now <laughs> <laughs> oh yes yes ben did you not know this is a game she trusts you because she wants in it's duck soup no you frame her for the bad brick then you cut her loose you turn on your heel and bite her in the throat last week at the payphone del rio and sarmentosa she saw something she was scared of tug's car driving by the pin riding shotgun but she wouldn't have seen the pin now she was across the street angel she saw the driver's side she saw you she saw you and she ran like she saw some devil. She took the hit. Dode hit her away, but the pin was on to her. He tracked her down and told her to meet, that they'd make good. He gave her a time and a place and sent Tug. She'd get the straight. But maybe you would tuck Tug up. 
Or maybe he just blew a fuse, but when M sprung it on him, she had her kid, he did what anyone could count on to do. He hit her. She took the hit for you, and you let her take it. Stop! That's the tale. Stop! I mean, it's, Tell me it's Stop not. It. Final questions. I don't know if you prepare for this, Ben. Oh boy. If this film was re if, if this film was made in the 1970s or 1980s, who do you cast? Oh boy. Yeah, I, I have not prepared for this. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, you go. I'll toss out some names. I got I'll toss some names. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I think these are mostly the 80s people I'm looking at. And this is kind of just a catch-all of like anyone that worked in the 80s type thing of the sure, all-star cast sure. you're gonna like de-age and re-age and yeah kind of like, like some people like some people are kind of hot in the early 80s and some are kind of hitting at the tail end of the 80s and the 90s so i, I have i don't have a pen i'm gonna think on the pen i wonder if anthony mm -hmm. michael hall would be a good pen because he's kind of this nerdy guy in breakfast club and, and kind of the nerd kind of character but he could possibly play that menacing character I think he had the range at that point in time and the pin mm -hmm. Lucas high is like, it's not like a big hulking figure. He's kind of looks like a nerd. He's wearing a Cape for God's sakes. Like yeah. it, it's, I feel like Anthony Michael Hall could be that guy. Okay. Laura, my ideas is Winona Ryder in the eighties, late eighties. I do. I do love at this point. We're playing like a sort of like uh video game space thing you know universe where like all the all the we could just rearrange the heavens yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah it's great no sure. it's, it's wonderful but yeah. it's called a recast it i uh, mean if, if you're if you're reaching through time like i was what i just popped into my head randomly uh -huh. you'd have to shift some ages around a lot but like i'm thinking dustin hoffman from the graduate but <laughs> okay but but it's, you got to go it's... back to him in high school just that whole stuttery nervous you know okay. what i mean I got you. No, I understand. I understand. Uh, no, I have Winona Ryder for some reason popped in my mind. It's like, cause I could see her playing this femme fatale. Role. She kind of plays mm -hmm. in Heather's in a way, but this femme fatale role in the, in the eighties, my, my Brendan, I have two picks for this. I have Robert Downey Jr. As one pick young eighties could be interesting. He was more comedic at that point. He did less than zero, which is very dramatic. The one that I'm kind of excited about that I wanted to see if he could pull off. Is River in a Phoenix. hypothetical universe? Yeah, is River, River Phoenix. Phoenix? Yeah, as 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 Brent as the detect as Brendan the sure. detective basically. Yeah. I for some reason really kind of like because he's a guy who can like kind of play comedy but also can play like really dramatic and like inner turmoil and stuff like that. At this point, a phenomenal actor. I, I'm trying to figure. I'm trying to figure out if you're wanting me to like raise the dead and create technology to like revive different people. To like age them to a you know specific right, point, then. and with then hire Cody, Ryan Johnson to like <laughs> we need to make it with the with the A team, the super force of actors. So so if we can if we create the whole holograms like type stuff we've been working on for a while, like I know James Dean's gonna be in a movie at some point coming up soon. I'm hearing. What have you not have you not heard this? I don't I don't have time for this. <laughs> I think James Dean's gonna be like a Vietnam War movie or something. Give me a break. <laughs> You know, if you really want to get Ryan Johnson to listen and love the show, you should you should get him to comment on who his ideal seventies and eighties <laughs> cast was. Yeah, I bet he has opinions. I bet that's has, not a bad idea. That's I not bet a bad he has idea, really actually. strong opinions about every movie he's done. He's like hypothetical seventies cast for Looper. I love that. Okay, does this film fit with any other genres? I mean, is this a trick question necessarily? I mean, I mean, it's I mean. 
we're talking about neo-noir does it fit yeah. with any other genres outside of neo-noir yeah for sure i mean it's it's the high school coming of age yeah thing it leans much more heavily towards neo-noir for sure i think it's on a couple lists of like best high school movies of all time which i just find hysterical i think entertainment weekly put it in the top 50 high school movies of all time wow 50 is a 50 is a big number that's top 50 <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know how many high school movies have been made though, Ben? Come on, it's fifties. That's a it. That is, I do, I do think again to credit Ryan Johnson again for first, you know, first feature that he wrote. A lot of people dip into their past of like, oh, I went to high school, I grew up, and yeah. went through these these things, and they those movies are just not what you always want them to be. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that this movie is fanciful enough that it's like you're not watching this going like this is ryan johnson having like a fantasy of what yeah, yeah, yeah. what know, his high his school hi- experience yeah what right. it's that's the and you, this is a separate thing about high school stuff but it's like there are certain movies that feel like it's a letter that's being written about your time back then for sure of like what i would have done differently yeah. and this and my if perfect i could world. go back and tell my young self this yeah or there's high school it's like you feel like the dialogue's written by a by a right, like you said, an older person, sure. older person who's come back to it. And there's those rare, then there are those rare movies that feel like they're written from that era. Mm-hmm. And that's your like dazed and confused. That's your American graffiti, where it feels like, I think a, a video essay has talked about how like American graffiti and dazed and confused feel like a letter that's written from that time, not about that time. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't really go either way, it just uses the setting as the as the linchpin of it all well it's really hard to figure out when when it is you know what i mean because so much of the costuming it leans into noir where you're like wait a minute is this guy is this guy real like this guy's from the 40s this guy's from the picket like it doesn't all yeah yeah yeah, tug tug. is definitely like tug is a, a 2000s like for sure for sure like with the baggy jeans and all that yeah baggy jeans and tank like white 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 beer like white tea basically but joseph gordon levitt i mean he's pretty timeless a lot of the um you know a lot of the the femme fatale like female actors like they they have these sort of timeless classic things going on um so it's not you know like like I kind of said with some of the high school notes, like it's not trying to say like, here's a Britney Spears song and a specific reference to this cultural moment. There's none of that. There's no cultural references to anything. That's true. That's true. I I give you that. And that's a very, that's usually very apparent in high school films of like, of like music of that era being there. That's a valid point. Um, How, and I would say also it's a detective movie for sure. Yeah. A separate genre of neo-noir. Uh, how does this film fit within the neo-noir genre, Ben? <laughs> Brandon, you're, you're literally the guy that I listen to the podcast <laughs> to hear you explain how it works. And you're like, <laughs> Ben, tell me. You, this is, this feels like a trap. This feels like a trap. <laughs> feels like a trap. It's a trap. Okay, well, I'll say, I mean, it's the, uh, which we haven't talked about some of this stuff, but it's the, uh, I like how, again, how the character's constantly being beaten down where yeah. it's like that happens in a lot of these old detective movies where like constantly like nursing injuries type thing. And we talked, I think we said earlier in, in murder, my sweet November, how or noir November, how Marlowe keeps getting just knocked out and awakening to find something has changed or whatever. And that happens a lot where he'll like smash cut or fade to black. 
after something's happened to to Brennan. Um, and it's again, I said I've said before, it's this kind of like how they're taking the archetypes of like uh, of the noir genre and updating them, putting putting a modern spin on it. That's why I think, as I keep saying before, is how do you take a neo noir movie? A per a, a, a great example of one is being able to take noir archetypes, take noir tropes and storylines and finding some way to put a modern twist on it. Because I've, I've harped on this before in the past few episodes of how like a lot of filmmake, modern filmmakers feel like, oh, I can just take the the bag of money and the, the femme fatale or whatever and just make a story and not change anything for today. But I do think neo-noir, when it's being made, needs to or noir in general needs to represent its specific time and place so brick even though we don't know exactly the time it takes place it still feels like this dream world early 2000s type thing it's in the modern world of some kind yeah yeah i i agree with you 100 percent. i mean an example of sort of sort of the incongruitous time feeling though is the yeah. fact that they haul around apparently they had to move that telephone booth for different uh scenes that they shot because they're like there's no telephone booths anywhere in the city but it's, yeah he's frequently sprinting or you know the phone's ringing and he's running into the phone booth it's silly in a certain sense like from a is this real thing yeah but it work it works in the movie it works really yeah. well in the movie it's like a it's a visual element that he keeps coming back to so you don't you don't really question it but it it, it again just kind of adds that like are we really are we really in 2003 i i don't know you know um yeah i mean because well, i i actually wrote down my notes man remember payphones i did write that down because it's like it's it's they were around yeah but they weren't like on every corner not in the way they're in this movie like yeah yeah, yeah. not in the way it's in the movie i think that's on brick ben do you have anything else to say no i i think i'll i'll pitch it to people you know the the episode that you and thomas did uh you know in november i i had a lot of that in mind when i was re-watching this and i think yeah it really does you know it helped me kind of contextualize let's say just the yeah, yeah. you know the fact that he's constantly getting beat up he's getting he's blacked out he's like he's pugnacious but he's not really outsmarting people you know he doesn't yeah. really he doesn't really possess like a big turn he fall, yeah he kind of falls into things yeah he's yeah. and you're, you're sort of falling into them with him um but i think just one of those moments that sort of makes me like as an audience like him beyond that like description of like sort of falling in and getting beat up is the the parking lot scene where he intentionally picks the fight and intentionally yep. uh you know takes some te cheap shots um and it, it may you know he's a hero he's a you know he's a whatever he's someone you want to follow along with because he's just determined he's just like he's gonna figure it out no matter how much he kind of gets dragged around and beat up and uh, push around. And I think it's a fun, you know, I think that's a fun way to think about a, a hero in a genre like this. It's like, I don't know if I want to get the shit kicked out of me, but it's a little more in that Indiana Jones, like you guys said in, in the episode, yeah. you know, it's that American, it's a very American hero. hero and I, I think that's cool. That's a good way to end it, Ben. That's a perfect I, I way to end it. I tried it. to bring it home for everybody. <laughs> go listen to all the old episodes of the all podcast. the old episodes which some people are doing yeah uh thanks our people uh and in, in belgium and uh 
in the UK and Mexico and wherever. Maybe they're, Ryan Johnson's traveling which... a lot. <laughs> anyway, guys, that's all we have for you on this episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're on. We truly appreciate those. That helps people discover us, but it also helps us find out more about what you're thinking about the show. And if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And next week, we'll be talking about the filmography of a director by the name of John Dahl, who I think is an underrated director that made several neo-noir films in the 1990s, including The Last Seduction, Red Rock West, and possibly his most popular film, Rounders, starring Matt Damon and Edward Norton. Um, Again, some of his films are lesser known, but are worth discovering. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. I truly appreciate it. Brandon, it's been a long run, but it's always fun to step back in. <laughs> it's great. We just we just tag you in and you come on and we'll see you in another, like five months. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure it out. Yeah, I have so much fun on it. I think I've already said this. I'll say it here to for people still hanging around. You have done so much to bring the format together, bring the show together. Uh, listening to that episode with you and Thomas, I learned so much. It really feels like I, it feels silly that I'm back here on the show because it's like, wait a minute, I'm learning a ton listening to this. Why am I, why am I the schmuck that's coming on? But it's fun. So thanks for bringing well, me back I, I love it. Thank you for saying that. And I yep. love having you on here for sure. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.